Welcome to Yale Cancer Center Answers with your hosts, Drs. Anise Chagpar, Susan Higgins, and Stephen Gore. Dr. Chagpar is Associate Professor of Surgical Oncology and Director of the Breast Center at Smilo Cancer Hospital. Dr. Higgins is Professor of Therapeutic Radiology and of Obstetrics, Gynecology, and Reproductive Sciences. And Dr. Gore is Director of Hematological Malignancies at Smilo and an expert on myelodysplastic syndromes. Yale Cancer Center Answers features weekly conversations about the research, diagnosis, and treatment of cancer. And if you'd like to join the conversation, you can email your questions and comments to canceranswers at yale.edu, or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. This week, it's a conversation about lung cancer screening guidelines with Dr. Lynn Tanui. Dr. Tanui is professor of pulmonary medicine at Yale School of Medicine, and here's Dr. Stephen Gore. Lynn, uh, you are a pulmonologist by training, is that right? That's correct. And and for the and for the audience, can you sort of uh, people don't necessarily know what pulmonologists do or what they are in general. So a pulmonologist is a physician who specializes in lung diseases, and that's maybe a little bit unusual uh, for a pulmonologist to be so involved in lung cancer, Yeah. except that I think that's becoming more common uh, because many people with lung cancer are diagnosed by pulmonologists. Hmm. And lung physicians are really an important part of the multidisciplinary team of any patient who has lung cancer. So have you been involved with lung cancer issues throughout your career? Or is this something you've grown into? So I think I evolved into this um, maybe about 15 years ago. I was increasingly concerned that the care of my patients was scattered uh, when I was diagnosing them with a lung cancer. And so at a time when they were really physically and emotionally stressed about a new diagnosis that was pretty scary, they were running around trying to see all these different doctors and have all these different tests, and the care at that time wasn't really coordinated. Mm. So that oh, maybe 12 years ago, the School of Medicine and Yale New Haven Hospital uh, awarded me a grant to put together a lung cancer multidisciplinary program. Hmm. And that has evolved. It actually evolved very quickly into the Yale Cancer Center Thoracic Oncology Program, which I still co-direct. Wow. And this was uh, well before Dr. Lynch had come and hired so many people into the uh, lung cancer program uh, from the medical oncology's point of yes, view, right? Yes, that's right. Dr. Adelson was cancer center director at that time. And I think that um, the School of Medicine and you know, New Haven Hospital really appreciated that the care of this particular group of patients, and at that time the number of lung cancer cases was still increasing in the country, mm. really required a team effort. And um, there was a great commitment made at that time to develop a section of thoracic surgery, uh, which at that time was still living in cardiothoracic surgery. Oh. And, and I think um, really the vision for the cancer center growing into what it is now and mm-hmm. what it will be in the future was really beginning at that time to take uh, form. And so perhaps thoracic oncology was one of the Test earliest programs. Models, huh? mm-hmm. Fascinating. So most people don't have a pulmonologist, right? Uh, like you have a, a cardiologist, like some people have cardiologists, I guess unless you have like obstructive pulmonary disease or asthma or something, right? I mean, I, I don't have a pulmonologist. Well, hopefully you don't have lung disease. <laughs> but um, I mean, how would I, how would I get to you for lung cancer screening? 
Oh, so um, so lots of people have pulmonologists the way they have cardiologists really? because they have pulmonary diseases, and pulmonary disease is really common. And well, people may think of you know lung diseases primarily as COPD or asthma. There are lots and lots of other pulmonary conditions for which we have a whole chest clinic. See, I'm showing my ignorance. And so the Winchester Chest Clinic really is uh, a center for not just general pulmonary diseases, but has specialty centers in obstructive lung disease, asthma, pulmonary vascular disease, cystic fibrosis, tuberculosis, um, interstitial lung disease. Did I say that one? No. And, and then we have a big general pulmonary clinic because most people don't show up necessarily with a diagnosis unless they're coming from another pulmonologist or maybe an internist Mm -hmm. or another specialist. They come with shortness of breath or chest pain or cough. And in the process of evaluating those symptoms, we hopefully arrive at a reason that hopefully is treatable. And so many people with lung cancer present with pulmonary symptoms. They have cough or chest pain, they're coughing up blood, or they're short of breath. And so the route to a pulmonologist sometimes is very quick, uh, sometimes not so quick. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think because we see patients who we take care of longitudinally, we're sort of a natural group to think about screening, as are the primary care providers. Mm Now. Well, you've talked about some of these people who are having chest pain or or bloody sputum. We that sounds to me like that's probably going to be more advanced lung tumors than we we hope to diagnose. Am I, am I wrong about that? No, you're correct. So, um, in a typical scenario, without screening, the majority of patients who present with lung cancer do have advanced stage. They don't mm. have a little spot in their lung. Those little spots are typically without any symptoms. And so for a cancer to have gotten to the point where it is creating symptoms, maybe two-thirds of those are actually advanced. A fair number of them, though, are still localized, and it just happens that they are in an area where they're causing a symptom, but they haven't progressed outside the chest. Hmm. So, So to find these small little spots that you're talking about, that's what really happens during screening, is that right? I mean, Right. So screening is all about early detection. And by definition, you screen people who are healthy and who have no symptoms. Um, if you have symptoms, you're by definition not being screened. You're being evaluated mm. for a symptom or for a disease. So if you look at the background really up until the present time where two-thirds of people who are diagnosed with lung cancer are, are diagnosed at advanced stage, we really need a method of early detection since the uh, opportunity to cure patients with lung cancer really uh, exists in patients with early stage disease. And the challenge has been that early stage disease generally has no symptoms. Mm. And we have been up until just recently without an effective screening test for lung cancer. So how is that changing? So that um, you can be screened now if you meet certain criteria uh, with a chest CT scan. And so as opposed to a plain chest x-ray, which for years was hoped uh, to be an effective screening tool, um, CT scan is actually effective. So back in the 70s and 80s, there were huge studies done in the United States looking at chest x-ray as a screening test. And all of those studies failed. 
failed to show any benefit in terms of saving lives because the gold standard of is a screening test effective is does it save lives from that disease. And really, in your and my medical training 20 and 30 years ago, we really never screened anybody for lung cancer. But meanwhile, the other common solid tumors, breast, prostate, colorectal, now all have screening methodologies. And while I think there's a fair amount of controversy about how effective those are and whether they should be used as broadly as they are, the bottom line is they are embedded in practice and people are used to having that kind of screening done. And so a lot of those cancers now are diagnosed early Mm. when effective treatment is readily available. And so there was a huge study done in the United States uh, in the 2000s called the National Lung Screening Trial, uh, the NLST. And uh, 50-something thousand Americans volunteered to be in that study. Wow. And it compared... uh, chest CT done with very low radiation dose to chest X-ray in terms of whether either of them was going to be an effective tool for screening. And to be a participant in the National Lung Screening Trial, you had to have been a reasonably heavy smoker. So 30 pack years, meaning either you smoked one pack of cigarettes a day for 30 years or you smoked two pack of cigarettes a day for 15 years. That's the math. And you had to be currently smoking or you had to have quit within the previous 15 years. Okay. And so the study really selected a very high-risk population since we know that smoking is the major risk factor for lung cancer. And at the end of the day, what that study demonstrated, and this was published back in 2011, was that screening with low-dose CT actually saved more lives than screening with chest x-ray, it also picked up more lung cancers because it is a much more sensitive radiology uh, test. There was another study going on at the same time, which is still going on, called the Prostate, Lung, Colon, and Ovarian Screening Trial, the PLCO. And the PLCO design, which was done years before NLST, actually looked again at chest x-ray. And in that same year, the PLCO uh, came out with these results for lung cancer that chest x-ray really was no better than nothing for picking up early uh, stage lung cancers. So by extrapolation, the National Lung Screening Trial demonstrated that screening with low-dose radiation chest CT is more effective than not screening at all, and it definitely saves lives in that population. So for our audience, uh, if you haven't picked up on this by now, we physicians like to abbreviate our <laughs> and make acronyms, often into nice little words. So far, your acronyms don't spell nice little words, but we like to call our clinical trials by, by different uh, letters. One of the things you mentioned, uh, Lynn, really got my attention, um, which is that in this high-risk population that was eligible for this uh, CT screening study, um, you included people who could have quit as recently as 15 years ago. I think that, uh, you know, as a, as a relative layperson in this field, I would have thought that 15 years, well, you know, you congratulate people that they've quit smoking and that they've abstained from smoking all those years, but, but they're still at risk, huh? Right. Well, you should keep congratulating those people. Because <laughs> smoking it's a great thing, right? Right. And quitting smoking is a really important but very difficult thing to do. So everybody who quits smoking should be congratulated. Um, 
the more time you're away from your last cigarette, the lower your cancer risk gets, and also the lower other risks like vascular disease, you know, risk of stroke and heart attack also decreases. Your risk so never becomes that of a never smoker, although it gets pretty close. Mm. Um, and the the 15-year window was chosen arbitrarily. Got it. The bottom line was that a population that was considered at pretty high risk for lung cancer was chosen so that if there were a benefit from screening, it could be seen. You'd needed to have people who were going to turn out to have early cancer to know that the test was working. Is that right? Right. And so that in the population of individuals who volunteered to participate in the National Lung Screening Trial, the risk of lung cancer over the six years that they were monitored was about 2 to 3 percent. Still pretty low. Pretty low, although... Um, well, I mean, it wasn't like 10% or 20%, but th- I guess 3% of 50,000 is a lot. Right. And, you know, lung cancer still kills more people in the United States than breast, colon, prostate, and pancreatic cancers all combined. And so that even though the risk may sound low, it was sufficient to prove the benefit of screening. Yeah. No, of course, I wasn't trying to minimize that. I, I was just a little surprised that it was not higher. Uh, and relieved a little bit, I guess. But uh, I think if you had chosen a, even a higher risk population, which would have been possible because we have models now to predict lung cancer risk over time, um, that the benefit would have been even greater. But mm. then you would probably be restricting screening much more to a very tight population. Got it. Well, this is a really important topic, and I'm going to want to pick up on this uh, after the break. But Uh, Right now, we're going to take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more information about lung cancer screening guidelines with Dr. Lynn Tanui. Breast cancer is the most common cancer in women. In Connecticut alone, approximately 3,000 women will be diagnosed with breast cancer this year and nearly 200,000 nationwide. But thanks to earlier detection, non-invasive treatments, and novel therapies, there are more options for patients to fight breast cancer than ever before. Women should schedule a baseline mammogram beginning at age 40 or earlier if they have risk factors associated with breast cancer. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers such as Yale Cancer Center and its Milo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven to make innovative new treatments available to patients. Digital breast tomosynthesis, or 3D mammography, is transforming breast screening by significantly reducing unnecessary procedures while picking up more cancers and eliminating some of the fear and anxiety many women experience. This has been a Medical Minute brought to you as a public service by Yale Cancer Center and Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Center Answers. This is Dr. Stephen Gore, and I'm talking tonight with my guest, uh, Dr. Lynn Tanui, about lung cancer screening guidelines. Lynn, uh, before the break, you were sharing with me about this uh, big 50,000 patient screening test, uh, screening study with CT scans, and you talked about a 3% incidence of cancer that was discovered in the six-year follow-up. And you said that it proved or demonstrated that lives were saved. So what is the magnitude of that benefit? Or can you not quantify it? Well, it it can be quantified. Um, On average, if you look at that 
2 to 3% incidence rate of lung cancer in that screening population, you save about three out of every 20 deaths from lung cancer. And that is a difficult concept maybe to grasp. What that means is that the majority of the people diagnosed with cancer are still going to succumb. Even in this early stage findings? So that most of the cancers that are diagnosed with screening are early stage. Mm. In fact, the numbers flip. So in, so I said before that two-thirds of cancers right. diagnosed by symptom or by accident are advanced. Are advanced. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the screening trials, it's the opposite. So two-thirds of the cancers that are diagnosed by screening are early stage. And typically that means they're quite treatable. And since the people are sort of by de- definition healthy, if they're undergoing a screening, they should be healthy enough then to have treatment. Which, which might, is surgery, usually, Might be right? surgery, might be radiation, mm-hmm. might still in, involve chemotherapy or targeted biologic therapy. A third of cancers that are diagnosed by screening are still advanced stage. Wow. And so while most lung cancers don't move quickly, you know, like wildfire, um, we don't catch all of them in an interval of a yearly screen. So between one year to the next, it's been clear in all of the studies that some people develop cancers that... Can become advanced in that one year? Can become advanced in that one year, or were probably there unable to be seen by CT because they were still too small. And for whatever reason, those cancers have a propensity to spread. I mean, we certainly understand that no cancers are one disease. Lung cancer is a very mixed population of cancers, some of which grow really slowly and some of which grow, unfortunately, quite quickly. And most lung cancers are the on the slower end as opposed to the rapid end. But we will never be able to catch all of those cancers unless we develop a better tool than a CT scan. Hmm. So, so is there any promise um, for other kinds of tools? Um, yes, I think that maybe within the decade, uh, there will absolutely be other tests that we can use, um, maybe to identify a population of uh, individuals who are at high enough risk that they should get a CAT scan. Mm. So right now, the definition of that population of risk only includes smoking and age. And yet we know there are lots of other risk factors for lung cancer. Um, 15% of lung cancers in women occur in women who never smoked, but maybe they have a family member who had lung cancer. Uh, There are lots of carcinogens that are domestic, like radon, or uh, in other parts of the world, biomass fuel Mm. uh, use in the home. And then occupational carcinogens like asbestos. If you've had another cancer yourself, it's clear that your risk for having a second cancer is higher. And so there are these other groups of people that may not fit into the tight criteria that have been currently defined for lung cancer screening, where we really need a better tool. And that tool will probably involve genomic evaluation, meaning looking at specific genes. Mm. And right now, that field is at the point where we can pick out risk if you have a test like a bronchoscopy, which means I put a lighted camera on the, at the end of a long, flexible tube into your lung, and I take samples. That's pretty invasive, and we wouldn't Sounds use scary that. to me. <laughs> we wouldn't use that as a screening tool, although we do colonoscopy I know, screening. right? Um, and we've sort of gotten used to that. 
Um, but a bronchoscopy is a little bit more involved than a colonoscopy, and I don't think that that is a reasonable tool to use as a widespread screening tool in a healthy population. But at some point, hopefully in the not-too-distant future, we will be looking at blood hmm. and that you can see genomic patterns in in blood, which is easily obtainable. And actually, our lung cancer screening program is collecting samples on people who want to be screened in the hopes that we will someday have enough in our biorepository that we can do those sorts of studies. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, so who do the guidelines recommend be screened nowadays, and of which of our listeners should be thinking about, gee, maybe I should ask my doctor about this? So right now, the United States Preventive Services Task Force, which is the body that uh, makes recommendations to Medicare about screening, on its website, the recommendations are if you are ages 55 to 80 and you have at least a 30-pack year history of smoking and you are currently smoking or have quit within the past 15 years. Oh, just like your study. You should be screened. And that's because the risk of you having lung cancer and the benefit then of an early detection of your lung cancer outweighs any harms that are related to the screening. And while people may not think about harms related to screening, there are harms related because we are looking at uh, an imaging study. We're not really looking in the lung uh, tissue itself. We pick up all sorts of things that aren't lung cancers but cause worry. Ditzels. Little ditzels. And so a ditzel is the proper radiologic term <laughs> for a spot that is less than four millimeters big. And the CT scans are so good that we can pick up things that are one or two millimeters. That's crazy. And so if I send 100 people who smoked to that degree that the United States Preventive Services Task Force thinks they should be screened and they're of the proper age, maybe a quarter of them, 25% of them, will have an abnormality on that CT scan in the lung. And these are predominantly little spots. And we know that about 96 or 97% of those little spots are actually not cancers. Wow. But we have to figure out which few are cancers, and we really don't want to do a lot more tests, and certainly we don't want to do biopsies and surgeries on people who have little spots that are not cancers. So what do you do? And so one of the most important parts of screening is that it should be done in a program mm -hmm. so that an individual who's going to get a CT scan for the purposes of screening understands what they're getting into. Mm -hmm. And so in our program, if you have your screening uh, CT scan done at Yale New Haven Hospital, you will actually see Polly Sather, who is our advanced practice uh, nurse practitioner, who is completely trained in this. And she actually sits down with each individual and goes through a risk-benefit discussion for that individual based on their own personalized risk. And we have a discussion about the likelihood that an abnormality may be found, if not on the first screen, then on the second or third or nth screen, because these little spots tend to come and go. And we know from the National Lung Screening Trial that 17 to 26% of people having a scan in a given year will have a new spot. And again, the vast minority of those are cancers. Mm. And so then it's my job, 
a lot of these people come to see me to figure out which spots need to be dealt with and which spots should be left alone. And if you consider that 96 or 97 percent of people who have an abnormality really should be left alone because they're actually fine, they have to have a discussion about that, anticipate that going into the screening study, and then have a means of having an evaluation if there is an abnormality found. And so um, the American College of Chest Physicians and the American Thoracic Society in their policy statement about lung cancer screening outlines a very comprehensive program that if you follow that roadmap, you will come out with a quality screening program that will invoke the most benefit and hopefully the least amount of harm. And our screening program uh, was one of the prototypes for that policy wow. statement. I mean, it's a lot more complicated than than I had really thought about. So let's say I see my internist in Branford, and let's say, unfortunately, I've never been a smoker, but let's say I, I had I met these criteria, and I am of a certain age that would probably meet these screening criteria. So I guess he has the option of just sending me for a CT scan, or he could send me to the screening program, or or how does that work? Does he set me up for a CT scan at Yale and I automatically get plugged in, or do I need to get referred to the Yale New Haven screening program? So you can do a number of those things. You could be referred straight to our screening program. Your internist can also order a screening low-dose chest CT scan through our electronic health record. And if your internist did that, a little questionnaire would pop up to make sure that you fit the criteria that met that high-risk population. Mm. And if you did meet those criteria and the study were then scheduled, you would automatically be referred to see our advanced practice nurse to have a decision support visit before the scan. And we try to set that up so that visit occurs just before the CT is done. Might it be the same day, or is it going to need usually, two trips? It's usually the same day. Um, you know, there there has to be a lot of quality control also sure. around the CT scan because it's done in a very specific way to use as little radiation as possible. Um, it's it's a very small amount of radiation. We want to make sure that it is that very small amount of radiation. The pictures then aren't as crisp as if you were having a regular CT because you were having a diagnostic evaluation, but they are more than sufficient for screening. And so your doctor can also request the screening CT scan, verify that you meet the criteria, and then you would enter the program there. Once you have your scan done, if you have an abnormality, that result goes back to your internist. We actually, our screening program makes sure that your internist gets that report. Mm. And then your internist could choose to have you circle back to see us because the back end of our screening program is our nodule program. <laughs> and Sorry. nodule is a fancy word for spot. Yeah. And I see lots Bigger of, than a ditzel. Uh, sometimes ditzels, sometimes spots bigger than four millimeters. And what I realize is that lots of people are having CTs done maybe for screening purposes, but they don't have the backup then of the nodule piece. And then they can still be referred to us even if they've had their screens somewhere else that we are happy to provide pulmonary evaluation for the nodule. Hmm. And some of these people you'll decide to observe, is that correct? Most of them 
can be observed safely. And do you find that there are some patients who are so anxious about this nodule that they, they're just not satisfied with that? I can imagine that this must cause a great deal of anxiety for some people. It can cause a great deal of anxiety, and I think that's where the nodule program is so important, that you don't just get a piece of paper with your report or a, you know, see you in a year, you have a spot, don't worry about it. We actually will sit down with the patients and talk to them. Talk to them. And actually, that evaluation is very important because some of those ditzels are more worrisome than others. Mm. And it really takes somebody who sees a lot of them to decide which ones are important enough or worrisome enough to pursue, even if they're small, maybe not two millimeters, but things that are six, seven, or eight millimeters. That's like the size of a pencil eraser. But some of those may be actually worrisome enough in the context of an individual patient to pursue. And so a lot of these are discussed actually in our tumor board. And the ones that raised concern that came through our screening program are actually also presented there. Dr. Lynn Tanui is professor of pulmonary medicine at Yale School of Medicine. We invite you to share your questions and comments. You can send them to canceranswers at yale.edu, or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. And as an additional resource, archived programs are available in both audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We'd like to thank the Yale Cancer Center for providing production support for this program. And we'd also like to thank Renee Gaudette, Emily Fenton, and the staff of the Yale Broadcast and Media Center. I'm Bruce Barber, hoping you'll join us again next Sunday evening at 6 for another edition of Yale Cancer Center Answers here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.